all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I will no longer be saying, oh, it's been so long since I recorded because, I don't know, I assume at some point, you know, after I'm dead or whatever, people are going to listen back to this and they're going to just be like, every week, it's it's such a long time. But of course, you know, to us listening, it's been five minutes. So today's musical guest is Allie Gertz. Um, Allie Gertz. Uh, was up at Max FunCon this year, uh, as you can see by reading the title of the episode. This is the other. This is the recap once again of of, of everything that happened at Max Max FunCon. Uh, Allie Gertz was there uh, to be part of the big comedy showcase, and she sang a couple of songs like this one. I am a girl who is in love with comedians. So actually, she didn't sing this one, and uh, there's probably a reason why. So in 2013, she released this album called Cosby Sweater. Now, God, you know, the, the sweaters that Bill Cosby wore on The Cosby Show was always this sort of, you know, haha, these sweaters are ugly and he has so many of them and isn't that funny. But then, uh, you know, and then... You know, and then in 2014, just a year after she recorded all of this, uh, she, you know, Bill, it is announced that Bill Cosby is a rapist. So now she put a lot of work into this, a lot of love and, you know, uh, uh, all this time and effort. And then, you know, the next year it's like, oh, this. And then, you know, so, okay, so maybe, maybe. You know, you could look at the title of the album, Cosby Sweater, as like, maybe like, oh, it's just, you know, she's referencing a thing and it's, the sweaters are bad and now he's bad and everybody's bad and we all know it. And, you know, you could kind of like, you know, just rationalize it somehow until you get to that song about comedians that she was singing about, about how she loves comedians and, you know, the, the, the things, you know, talks about how she loves Eugene Merman and Patton Oswalt and David Cross and all of these people. And then she gets to the line, please tell me it's okay to like Louis C.K. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, don't write songs about your heroes. Don't meet them either. They only disappoint you. Everything's coming but it's Now, this song, on the other hand, is uh, a song that she did do at the big showcase. Um, so, uh, this song is uh, Everything's Coming Up Millhouse after the, you know, very popular Simpsons episode. Um, Allie Gertz used to have a Simpsons podcast on the network, uh, and she doesn't anymore. Uh, and so um, somebody contacted the writer of the episode in which this uh, phrase, everything's coming up, Millhouse, uh, is featured, 
and they asked him if he had heard Ali's song, and he said, yes, and I don't like it. And, he's, and his reasoning for not liking it was he said that um, the song should somehow redeem Millhouse, which I argued, and I said this to her, I'm like, that's, that's exact, I mean, the fact that there is a song about Millhouse is the redemption, right? Like, you don't need a, a whole song about how great Millhouse is. I mean, having a song talking about how sad he is, I mean, that's, that's enough to shine a spotlight on it and be like, isn't this a sad character um, and, and worthy of a song? So let's give a little bit more to Everything's Coming Up Millhouse. All right, so um, let's get into uh, the the first. Let's just do this chronologically. I didn't make any notes. I'm gonna. It's only been uh, since Sunday since uh, it has been over. It is now Tuesday, so um, I'll just take you through it. So we we get there. Uh, Alexis Perplexus and I uh, always make the pilgrimage together up the mountain to Lake Arrowhead, about two hours east of Los Angeles. And uh, we get there, and because we are still living in COVID times, no, regardless of what you are seeing at, you know, the mall and the airports and whatever, COVID's still a thing, COVID's still out there. And unlike the airports, uh, Max FunCon is testing people. So we get there super early because they told us to get there super early because we have to all get tested. And you know, you can't just test 150 people in five minutes. Um, so we're in the pro, so we, we are, we get tested. We put, you know, we, we give them the little strip there that has the, you know, the little bars or one bar or two bars or whatever. And we just wait uh, while, you know, we, we, they tell us don't go anywhere because they don't want us if we're positive to go running around infecting people. So they're like, there's this large grassy area and they're like, just stay here. So we're, we're, we're doing it and we're waiting there. And, um, while we're there, uh, this couple shows up and, um, they are the fittest people I've ever seen at a Max Fun Con. Uh, they, they, they kind of, uh, yeah, like he's wearing a muscle shirt, you know, no sleeves, and she's got a belly shirt, no bra, and just the hardest nipples you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and I'm like, these people, what's, what, what are they doing? You know, they, I bet, I, you know, I'm like, I can't figure out what this couple is. I'm assuming he just like met her and then like he was coming to this and he's like yeah babe come on let's go to this thing it's like up in the woods or something you know it'll be fun and so you know and and they go to the desk to like check in and all this stuff and then there's a there's a problem and they can't figure out you know where their name is and the name's not on the list and i'm just like okay these 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 people are clearly trouble right so then they take the test and they give the little cartridge to the the person for testing 
and then they just wander off. You know, they're off playing basketball and soccer, and then they like they told them, no, don't do that. You got to stay here. Um, and then the organizer comes over and he talks to him a bit and tries to figure out their registration and everything. And I'm just like, oh my god, is this gonna be is this gonna be the whole weekend with these idiots? And then, and it is right, like. You know, they show up late to uh, all the meal times. You know, everything everything they're doing is just a little off. Oh, I heard from other friends, I heard them say uh, that they spent most of the time by the pool with him photographing her ass. That's their words, not mine. I didn't see it. Oh, by the way, here's a nice little cover of uh, Never Gonna Give You Up by Allie Gertz. So, uh, you know, all this stuff is going on. I'm fascinated by them, riveted by them. I can't believe all of this. And then a few hours later, uh, we... When a stranger's to love, you know the rules and so... There we go. I just had to pause just to get us to the chorus. Um, so... Uh, you know the, the everything the party starts happening it turns out these two good-looking people are the bartenders so it now it all makes perfect sense I feel a little bit like a jerk uh, but I don't care uh, because it's not like I accuse them of anything I just you know thought the whole thing was weird but uh, the other thing that happened with them is apparently uh, when when they do the big comedy showcase on Saturday nights, uh, they these bartenders were asked to run drinks up the hill to the performers, and they did that and they brought the drinks in. And uh, one of our friends who knew my fascination with these people heard from behind her say, "Oh, there's the beautiful people." And they are, right? Like, they, they, they definitely cast a memorable silhouette. Do you know what Wubba Lubba Dub Dub means? Wubba Lubba Dub Dub. Now, this is uh, her, uh, this is from Allie's, um, I don't know, other album. Uh, it's, it's her tribute album to Rick and Morty. So all the songs in it are sort of Rick and Morty adjacent. Okay, so uh, this takes us up to Saturday. So Saturday, they do classes, and you get to sign up ahead of time for your classes that you want to take. Um, I took uh, Carrie from the podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Um, they do uh, 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 stories about people who make questionable claims about their ability to let's say heal people or any any sort of paranormal supernatural claims uh they investigate it and then they do a podcast about it and uh the the class was about how to stop how to spot an expert 
And uh, and so uh, it was all very interesting. Carrie Poppy has a long uh, career as being an investigative journalist. So, it's, you know, it's not just her on a podcast. I mean, this is like her job. And it was all very interesting. You know, it was basically there are lots of ways you can uh, investigate people's credentials. So if they have uh, uh, some sort of certificates or or uh, accreditation, all of that, you know, you can contact the institutions, you can contact the universities that they went to, all of that stuff, you can just reach out to them and chances are they'll tell you, you know, whether or not that, that license or certificate or whatever is still valid. They will, if it's a university, they will verify whether or not the person actually went there. Uh, and so if you do want to know, for instance, if you have a family member, which was the example she gave, if you have a family member that is engaging in, uh, medical practices that are perhaps uh, unsafe or you know or being done by someone who is not actually a medical doctor uh, these are uh, great ways to stop them from hurting themselves uh, in this practice so that that's what what the class was about but uh, I was more interested in the fact that uh, Carrie Poppy had just been married and uh, had herself a love boat themed wedding and I thought that was fascinating and she gave a PowerPoint presentation uh, uh, at the reception trying to convince the guests that indeed the love boat was actually a good television show so when we when we got to the end of the class and people are starting to file out and it's kind of wrapping up I challenged her and I was like, you claim to be an expert on the love boat. Let's get into it. Let's talk about that. And she actually, of course, had the presentation on her laptop because this is the one and only laptop that she has. And she so she opened her laptop right back up, plugged the cable back in and just gave me the whole talk. Now, mind you, uh, none of the video clips that she had with her were working. So it was, you know, a much more condensed uh uh, presentation, but you know, her argument was basically oh, it ran nine seasons, even though it had never won an Emmy. So, the idea being like, you know, it didn't get extra acclaim from the industry. So, even without that acclaim, people were still watching it and enjoying it. And I'm like, that's not a <laughs> that's not no, Emmys mean your shit is good in spite of whether or not people watch it. Uh, and in anyway, so uh, she did not win me over. And in fact, I told her I, I was surprised that uh, this is the first time that somebody has put so much effort into a presentation that uh, moved me not at all. Uh, no, my, my opinion is still firm that the show sucks. Um, yeah, uh, oddly enough, the guest star with the most guest star appearances, Marion Ross from The Happy Days. Uh, she was uh, on the, the love boat 14 times in the nine seasons. Uh, but the interest, the other interesting thing about this is Carrie Poppy went to the estate sale of the woman who wrote the book that the love boat is based on. 
and it's the book is sort of like a memoir and it's all you know sex and drugs and and a couple of abortions and like it's a crazy book and the tv show of course has none of that right there's nothing crazy nothing salacious nothing exciting in the in in the in the tv show at all so it's sort of funny that somehow they looked at this book and was like, oh, we should make a show out of that. But uh, the other thing about it that's really interesting is that Carrie, um, she, when she got to the estate sale, had, uh, you know, the estate sale had been pretty well picked over, like all the good stuff had been bought. And Carrie, being the investigative journalist that she is, she said, you know what? If there is something still good here, it's gonna be hidden. It's gonna be in like the back of a closet somewhere. And I've never been to an estate sale. I didn't know how these things run, but apparently people just walk in and like have a run of the place. And they can go anywhere they want. They can do whatever they want. Hell, they could probably take a shit in the bathroom if they wanted to. They could just go wherever. So Carrie finds this closet. She starts pawing around in the back and she finds a, like a four inch thick stack of letters that were written to this woman from this man uh, and and he also died of mysterious circumstances so uh, the, the you know what the deal is with this guy and this correspondence she hasn't figured out yet but and this is my favorite part is I said like well how did you like what did they charge you for a stack of letters and she's like oh no 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 what I did was I grabbed a bunch of other shit uh, grabbed them uh, you know some magazines and then I just took the letters and I stuffed them kind of randomly in the magazines I grabbed pots and pans and a colander and I just threw it all in this box and it was you know it was the 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 estate sale was wrapping up you know the people who are running it are anxious to get out of there and go home and so she just walks up to the guy who prices everything puts the box in front of him shrugs and goes i don't know 20 bucks <laughs> and the guy's like yeah fine and she's just like okay here you go boom and then she leaves of course you know she wasn't dishonest she didn't lie to them about what she had um, they, you know, it was right. It's not like she put them in her purse or anything. Like, no, they were there in the box. And, uh, but she got, you know, this great stack of letters that may or may not become something later on. Uh, but the reason I found out about that was because she kept talking about, oh, in my research about the love boat, blah, 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 blah. And I, I was like, wait, are you doing research about the love boat because you love the TV show? She said, oh, no, no, no. I, you know, and I got these letters and everything. So that was pretty fascinating. Um, and then the other class I took uh, is from the producer of Jordan Jesse Go on the network, Brian Fernandez. Brian Sonny D. Fernandez uh, is actually a television writer and he's worked a lot. I didn't realize this, but he worked on a TV show called One Tree Hill and another show called The Royals and now finds himself doing Netflix movies like not I'm sorry, not Netflix, Hallmark, Hallmark movies. So he is aged up in, you know, the audience. He's not doing, you know, young adult anymore, but 
I don't know if the shows themselves are any better, um, but he he tries, you know, he tries to make them as good as he can. But what he said was, you know, a lot of the times they don't, they don't, for, especially for Hallmark movies, he said they don't have to be good, right? Like he said, I try to make them as good as I can, but in terms of like, how much time they put into set design or rehearsals or anything. It's like, nobody cares. Nobody's looking for them to be good. So they don't need to be good. So sometimes they're not always good, uh, which is of course sad because you know, nobody wants to make a bad movie, but uh, oh uh, yeah. And so uh, those are the two classes that I took. Oh, another funny thing about Allie Gertz is um, it's I don't I don't have the song, but uh, one of the songs she sang at the comedy night was uh, "You Don't Need to Tell Me I Look Like Lisa Loeb." Trust me, I've seen my face, which is hilarious because yes, she does. She's got the very Lisa Loeb. You know, she plays an acoustic guitar. She's got the uh, sort of chunky black glasses like Lisa Loeb has. So uh, I enjoyed that joke quite a bit. Uh, oh, so let's talk about uh, the comedy show. Um, so the comedy show uh, was a killer lineup. It's it was uh, uh, Chris Fairbanks, uh, uh, Blaine Kapach, uh, Eliza Skinner, uh, a couple other people uh, whose names I'm blanking on. Uh, but it was a really great show, and I got to talk to Blaine Kapach again for way too long. I started, I started, when I saw him there, I ran over to him. Probably, I, I think I was in the middle of a conversation with somebody else and I was just like, nope, gotta go, bye. Because I'm a world-class star fucker. Oh my God, if, you, if, it's, if there's me and another celebrity's in the room, you know I'm gonna ditch your ass because I love me some star power. So <laughs> I, I get there, I mean, sorry, I, I get to talk to Blaine Patch, and the first thing I say to him is, well, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to monopolize your time, but could I just get a picture with you? And he says, yes, and then of course I just monopolize his time and talk to him for like another half an hour. But then some other weird goobers come in and I'm just like, oh dear Lord, you guys suck. I mean, it, I mean they legitimately sucked. I mean, their, their questions were bad. Um, and, and, and Blaine doesn't want to hear your thoughts on stand-up comedy. I mean, he's, he's, he's been doing this a minute, uh, but, uh, the, the, uh, oh, and so a couple of things, uh, well, so the, the other thing that was interesting about that is, um, Blaine's wife is an animator and she does uh, a lot of stuff with Cartoon Network and Netflix and, a bunch of other stuff, and so I got to ask her about Metalocalypse, which is an insane show uh, about a rock band that the government thinks is going to destroy the Earth, but they're not. They're just a bunch of idiots, uh, and that dichotomy of, like, the government scheming about how to destroy them, uh, and then cutting to the the Metalocalypse, the, 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 um, what, Death Clock. Death Clock is the name of the band. The Death Clock House. And they're just sitting around fighting about, you know, who ate the peanut butter or whatever. But I asked her, I said, you know, the show kind of changed after a couple of seasons. Do you happen to know what was going on there? And she was like, oh, yes. There was a huge falling out between the two creators 
and then really one of the creators kind of got pushed out and just like does voices occasionally and then it's the other guy's vision now and he sort of changed the whole scope of the show and the slant of the show to this other thing which is why it changed and but she did confirm there is another Metalocalypse movie coming in the works. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, and she told me that like most of the animating is done in Flash. Well, I'm like, really? Are, are we still using Flash, especially for 2D animation? I mean, there's gotta be tons of better things you could use. She's like, nope, that's what everybody uses. And I kind of get it. I mean, you can get a, a license for Flash relatively inexpensively, and it does sort of what you need it to do. But I mean, look, for a guy who made stuff in Flash for many years, uh, especially ads, uh, I, it's it's not the most user-friendly thing in the world. So I was very surprised uh, that that is still happening. So then, this takes us to Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, um, uh, I go out early to the fire pit area where everybody kind of congregates until breakfast is served. Duh, served, duh. And Jesse Thorne is there, and, and uh, we have uh, discussions about his favorite fruits, uh, what's in season, all that good stuff. And then I ask him... Um, because, you know, I do those little animated My Brother, My Brother and Me shows uh, or, or clips on YouTube. And I, I, I'd always wanted to pitch to the brothers uh, a animated series idea. And I said to Jesse, I was like, has anybody ever pitched a Mabim Bam animated series idea? And he was like, no, nobody wants that. And it's just like, oh, God. Oh, it was it was a it was a it was a it was a cold shock up my system, but yeah, it, it, he was like, yeah, you know, Ricky Gervais, he tried it, and even he couldn't do it, and that guy's a way bigger celebrity than anybody else. And I was like, damn, harsh man, and I wanted to argue with him, but I was just like, ah, oh, fuck it, forget it. I'm, not, I mean, he he knows better than me, and then he went down this dark rabbit hole of like all the. Th things that he had tried to get turned into TV shows and how like like he has this uh, this show put this on uh, which is about you know aspects of men's fashion and you know like he does a whole episode on jeans and like how they're made and how they should be cared for and all this stuff and when he pitched put this on to a network because the original show was just crowdfunded um, he said um he said uh, that uh, that they wanted to change it and they wanted the show to be, you know, one of those makeover shows uh, like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy or, 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 you know, just any of those. And the reason for that actually makes quite a bit of sense, which is if somebody's going to start, you know, a show... They, nobody wants, you know, one season of a show. They want a show that's going to run for five, ten years, or whatever. And as Jesse put it, there is no shortage of schlubs, right? There's just, it's just a, 
uh, you know, a never-ending supply of guys who dress badly and and their girlfriends who wished they dressed better. So, <laughs> so there's that, and uh, and I get it, right? I get it from both sides, right? Jesse wants to make the thing that he wants to make, and they don't. <laughs> So they want they want something that's going to run for, you know, 180 episodes. So, yeah, I get it. But boy, that stung so bad. If your mom likes two and a half men, try and be polite. You can still... So after all of this and you getting the rundown of what happened and what is what, uh, you're probably saying to yourself, well, that's nice. That's lovely. But so what? Um... And this has always been sort of the problem with trying to explain uh, Max FunCon to people. Uh, uh, So I'm going to try it again. (laughs) Max FunCon um, is special because it really is just a bunch of people whose politics and interests align to yours, right? Jesse Thorne, who runs uh, the the network, he is very clear and very upfront and very uh, passionate about his views on politics and, and uh, you know, LGBTQ issues and uh, all, all of those things that, that, you know, are polarizing and, and uh, a lot of people are on the wrong side of history about. Uh, but fortunately, Jesse is on the right side. And everybody who comes there is there because they also believe that. And it's also a great escape from real life. I mean, if you have a job that sucks like I do, uh, it's, it is... It's so fast-paced that weekend, and there's always stuff going on, or you're having a meal, or you're getting ready for the next class and all that. There's just no time to feel the outside world. It's just all-consuming. And and it's so fast-paced, and there's so much going on. By the end of it, you feel like you've been there a week. Like, you can't even remember what you do for a living. It's such a departure from everything and most of the time there are a few exceptions most of the time having meals with people is really the best part because you are just meeting people who have come from all over the country and do things for work that are totally different than mine Um, we had one woman who runs a nursery and so the people around her had tons and tons of questions about plants and what's the best thing and what does this weird ratio on the fertilizer mean and all of this stuff. And it's like just conversations that I would not be having in any other format. And, you know, we, we just, we just had a lot, a lot of great conversations with a lot of really nice, smart, funny people. And... The worst part about all of this is this one that we had, this one, the year of 2022, was the last one. And it is heartbreaking because this is one of those things, more than my birthday, more than Christmas, it is the thing that I looked forward to 
every year. It was a chance to see Alexis Perplexis, who I've known for 35-ish years, who has, you know, no longer living in the Bay Area, and so I don't get a chance to see him very often. It was our reason to get together. And we spend pretty much, except with the exception of the classes, because we don't take the same classes at Max Von Kahn, we spend the entire weekend together. And it's great. Uh, and... It's, it's, uh, it is heartbreaking, but I understand why it is coming to an end. Um, Jesse talked at, at the thing about, you know, what Max Funcon means to him and how lovely it is. But when Max Funcon was started, it was started as a money-making venture. And I was talking to uh, Alexis Perplexus about this, and I compared it to the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour was a thing that started as a money-making operation, but the podcast became very successful, and it meant that other creative opportunities came in for the creators of that podcast, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, and it became it. Uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour became not the thing that was making them the most money, but the thing that was making them the least amount of money, but also the most amount of work. And that's the same thing with Max FunCon, right? Uh, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. It's, uh, it's not the thing that makes them the most money. And I think partially the thing that bothers Jesse the most is that it's expensive for the people who want to come and uh, it's a little bit of it's a little elitist, honestly. Uh, the, you know, when it's when when you do an event that a limited number of people can come to, and on top of that, it's expensive, so it automatically blocks out a lot of people from coming. You know, like I said, Jesse's very passionate about class and politics and all of that, that uh, I think that whole idea kind of rubbed him the wrong way a little bit. But I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I have a job that pays me pretty well that I hate. So part of having a job like that is you want to be able to take that money, that blood money, that money that you get for losing a piece of your soul every day you want to take that money and you want to use it to just try and get a little bit of your soul back and that's that's what max funcon was to me um it i don't know it just gave me hope that like now that you know this this one was over but we'll do it again next year. We'll see everybody again next year. And uh, that ain't happening anymore. And I cannot imagine really, truly anything that could replace it. I don't even think, I don't, I can't even imagine anything that could come close to replacing it, honestly. Um, yeah. So... I always try to frame it in my mind uh, whenever something like this ends, whether it was the Thrilling Adventure Hour ending or Max von Kahn ending, I always try to frame it like I got to experience this thing. And it sucks 
that I don't get to experience it anymore, and I should just be grateful for the time I had with it. Um, <laughs> but um, it's really, really hard knowing it's gone. Well, the cat is here, meowing away for God knows what reason. <laughs> but um, that's all I had to say about any of that anyway. So from me, from the music of Allie Gertz and Bright Brown, I'll be here. I'll be back. Max FunCon won't be, but I'll be here, and we'll do this one more time. Till then!